Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only color fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. What a pleasure it is to have you on board for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Today we celebrate the life of one of footy's great characters, but he was much more than that. You have to be pretty good to play 200 games, and this man played more than 200 games for Essendon and Geelong, and then Essendon again. His name is John Barnes. Barnesy, it's been a while. Hello, Pete. How are you, mate? All right? I'm well. How are you? You look well. Yeah, you look well, which is good for radio because no one can see us, so we're both telling lies. Yeah, I've, I've got about six inches of fuzz on my face, mate. So yeah, now what's going on there? Well, Movember was a uh, obviously a fundraiser for Prostrate, I think, and... Uh, I started off with a mow and it looked pretty ordinary. So I uh, went for the whole facial thing and it stayed. And it's about nine different colours. The wife hates it, but it's staying. So I like it. Geez, we were in the days when uh, the mow was very fashionable in the uh, 80s and 90s and around about that time. Everyone had one, didn't they? Yeah, well, I've, I've always had a tickler or whatever you call it. And um, <laughs> I've always uh, had something on my face. So, yeah, it's progressed. It's as itchy as buggery and something lives in there for sure, but... It's uh, it's staying, so I don't mind it. Righto. But the missus hates it? Uh, absolutely. And so normally that's the criteria yeah. because, you know, I've got just a little bit of fuzz which doesn't compare to yours, yeah. but the missus likes it. So that's part of the reason why it stays. So normally they get what they want. Yeah. How come you get your own way? Um, well, I met my missus when she was 16 and I was 17, so I've trained her pretty well, mate. Mm. So we've been together 32 years and she's gone through a lot of shit and that's how it is, mate. Where did you meet? We met at a pub called the Bricky's Arms in Essendon, just over the walkway bridge there from Windy Hill. And yeah. my eyes sort of drifted across after about three cans of VB one night. And yeah, that was it. I asked her to go out on a date. And two weeks later, yeah, she uh, got heavy on me in the back of a taxi. And that was pretty much it. She got heavy on you. Oh, I, I was Nothing pretty, to do I was with shy you. I was from the country. So <laughs> yeah, she made the first move. And yeah, 32 years later. All good. So was it love at first sight? Uh, for me it was, yeah. It was. Uh, Did the three cans have anything to do with it? <laughs> Maybe. I probably had the foggy goggles on, but um, nah, she's a, a lovely bird. She lived up in uh, Avondale Heights there or somewhere around there, Strathmore Heights or something like that. And then uh, her cousin come and uh, gave me her phone number one night up at flight deck and I rang her at about two o'clock in the morning with the music going and yeah, we went to the movies and yeah, the rest is history. Kids? Two boys, Jack and James. Yeah, how old are they now? Uh, one just turned 24 and the other one's 26 in September. Interested in footy, playing footy? No idea, not interested. You know, the older one sort of has a bit of a kick with his mates uh, and he's a chippy. And the younger one, James, is about two inches taller than me. Had a bit of a crack at it, but he's got knackered hips. So he's uh, he just can't get through a pre-season. So he's just said, stuff it, that'll work. And he's a uh, sparky, so... 
Righto. Do they do anything else in sport, Barnsley? No. Um, they pretty much eat out a lot. They've both got girlfriends, which keep them pretty well levelled. And bar that, they, yeah, sports-wise, my eldest son plays golf. He thinks he's uh, Tiger Woods, but mm-hmm. trust me, he cheats when he plays golf, a bit like his old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reckons he goes around about 80, but I reckon it's 100, Pete, to be brutally <laughs> honest. And he won't walk, so he drives a golf cart. And uh, I'm glad that they've got their own money, mate, because now I've got a bit of money in my pocket. Not a lot, probably 50 bucks at the end of my pay every week, so I'm pretty happy with that. Now, you said they've both got girlfriends. Yes. Was it a repetition of what happened to you that the girlfriends leapt on them after a couple of weeks? Or? No. Well, the oldest one, as I said, is 26 this year, and he's only had one for six months. And let me tell you, has he changed? Like, now he puts his clothes in the washing machine and makes his bed, and his mother's very happy. And the younger one, he's always done that since probably 10 years of age. So we've got one good one and one ordinary one. So right. we're pretty happy. We've got a 50% strike rate. Okay. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah. Um, what are you up to these days? Well, I'm a uh, garbo for the Hume City Council. Have been for probably seven years now, mate. Um, I've obviously can't drive the truck anymore because of my uh, epilepsy that I've got at the moment. Mm. So I do a bit of, um, they call it a jockey. So I get out and empty the bins and we go to, and we do the parks now, which is which is good. And um, it hurt my shoulder about a year ago, so I had that reconstructed. And so now I'm just doing a bit of light duties and getting back into the regular day-to-day stuff. So I just sort of, I'm on a, like a flying crew, which goes around picking up hard rubbish and stuff like that. So that's a bit interesting. If you offered the job of garbologist to a lot of people, they'd say, no, no, not for me. What What do you like about it? Um, the hours are good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a... The first bit I liked about it, Pete, was definitely the hours, but you're just in and out. You get your own radio going, your phone's hooked up to the um, wireless stuff, so if anyone rings you, it's you just, you're on your own, and then you can pretty much do what you like. Um, it's sort of, the guys there are unique. They're uh, pretty rough around the edges, and what you see is what you get sort of stuff. Do you have to be that sort of character to oh, do that job? Not really, but you sort of turn into one. I was already one anyway, so I fitted straight in, but if you weren't, yeah, it only takes three months and you're pretty much, if you were a pretty reserved sort of guy and you went home to your missus who was pretty um, reserved as well, she'd under, she'd go, how come you're changing? Because that's what it sort of does to you. Mm-hmm. You sit in the lunchroom and every second word's F this, F that. and Not that that's how HR and that want it these days, and I've learnt that being a union rep at the, uh, the council. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty rough where it is. But you know, it's just like being in the footy sheds. It's grass. Is that the job that'll go on for the foreseeable future? Do you uh, think? Yeah, at the moment, it's uh, it's enjoyable um, until something else probably pops up. But at this stage, no, I'm enjoying it, mate. It's um, it's it's challenging, and the union side of stuff's uh, challenging as well. There's always someone got an issue or a problem, and um, I don't mind that side of side of things. It's um, it's challenging. That's pretty much what it is. And the job I'm doing at the moment now, mate, you'd be surprised what people are dumping in the streets. It's um, it's horrendous. It's ridiculous. It's You'd love to catch them in the act, and it's just pathetic what people are doing. What sort of things? Oh, toilet bowls, sinks, uh, cupboards, um, you name it, Pete. Anything, desks. Um, it's just whatever goes to the tip doesn't go there, and I think it's because the tip fees have gone up with um, the carbon emissions and all that sort of stuff, mm. so people are just dumping it. Used to be about twenty dollars a trailer load. Now it's one hundred and eighty a trailer load. So wow. people can't afford it, so they're just on in any nook and cranny and, and just dumping it. Because there's a lot of issue going on at the moment, isn't there, with recycling and yep. where it all goes and the danger of recycling um, places and the fact that they might catch fire. So 
people need to be a bit more vigilant about these sort of things. I would love to get into the uh, teaching sides of it at school if, if work would do something like that. Because if you get them at a young age, they get onto their mum and dads and tell them all about it, which is uh, probably where we all start to understand about the racist things as well. Pete, it's, it, I think it starts with the youngers and the youngies and you get going like that. And if you can teach them that, you know, dumping and throwing a cigarette butt out the window. And I said to a mate today, I said, if we could put our rates up by a thousand bucks in my area and you just dobbed in every person that threw a bit of litter out the window, you'd be surprised how quickly you'd fix it up because mm. people don't want to pay an extra thousand bucks on their rates. But I'm just a minority, mate. And Somehow you don't get listened to. It is amazing, and this is going to be a wide-ranging chat. I can yeah, feel it, Barnsley, no but doubt. it is amazing what you learn at school that yeah. is absolutely no use to the you the minute you walk out the door of yep. school. But there are so many things like you're talking about that we don't get taught at school. And to be brutally honest, Pete, and we probably will be today, what's um, well, common sense is not very common, and the stuff that we do use every day i.e. water, where's it come from? You look at other other countries and stuff like that, they're drinking out of water that's not acceptable. And the plentiness, and we waste stuff. And that's what I've seen in the last seven years, how much stuff we waste and how much food we get rid of. And people don't, still don't know how to recycle properly. And now that SKM's closed down, as another major recycling business has gone down, so people are just chucking recycling with rubbish. And, you know, the government's got a big issue in front of them. And I know what... Uh, um, Gore, the Vice President of America, was trying to get on to 20 years ago. And there's a great show on SBS, I think it is, about what's your waste. And there's this young bloke's trying to change people's ways of thinking. And if you get a chance to watch it, have a look at it, because the bloke's right onto it. Food wastage is the thing that gets me yep. when there are so many people in the world who can't afford to yep. eat. I was, I've been overseas doing golf tournaments, and I was in a corporate marquee after the golf finished a couple of weeks ago in Singapore. The amount of food that was left and just tipped into bags... And it doesn't only happen in that part of the world. It happens here. happens everywhere. It's just it's bloody heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. And look, I was just saying to uh, Johnny as I was walking up here to come and have this interview, I, I used to eat a bowl of pasta, which three people could eat, but my weight was a bit up, so I tried to watch it. And now I just eat probably a fistful of food, and I'm pretty much happy with that. But as Australians, we really don't realise how good we've got it, and the food we waste, Pete, is just... Mm. ridiculous. And I've only seen that the last seven years, mate. I've only opened my eyes up seven years. I'm 50 in the next couple of months. And so I was 43 and carefree and pretty much doing what I liked. And I didn't give a rat's ass about it either, to be brutally honest. But it's woken my eyes up and it's only been the last seven years. And you can still learn when you get older. So teach your kids young now and hopefully they might be better for it in the long run. On a brighter note, um, you talked about the disgusting nature of some of the stuff that is left yep. that shouldn't be left. What's the thing that you looked at that someone left out and thought, what the hell's that doing there? Well, I'll give you a good thing. I found about two brand new laptops, which were unused, so they were fantastic. You find iPods, phones that aren't used, uh, vacuum cleaners, TVs, couches, which are, you know, hardly used because people just probably can't find room for them. Um, What's the weirdest thing you've oh, seen? A lot of dead animals. Um, oh, really? I can't talk about sexy land too much, but a lot of those things are hanging around, Pete. Yeah. Is that right? Oh. Do you recycle them? Or? No, you can't recycle those, unfortunately. No, it's... I'm talking about at your place. Oh, no, no, no. They uh, they get, uh, <laughs> I don't know what they do with those. <laughs> but I try and leave them on the top of the, the truck so whoever comes past goes, oh, oh. So it's a bit of a, bit of banter. Sometimes we try and tie them on the truck, but the boss doesn't get too happy with that. So. No, I wouldn't imagine so. No, no, it's, um, that's probably for an older, another show. Yeah, we might have to do two shows. Yes. Um, how's your fitness, apart from the injuries that you've had 
uh, being a garbologist. Are you still pretty fit these days? Yeah, look, I, I was walk about 12 to 14 k's a day sometimes. It's not because I want to or choose to. It's just what the job entitles. And as I said, I'm a calorie counter for some stupid reason. I lost 20 kilos and that's what I was doing, counting calories. So I find myself telling people, you know, that's got 365 calories in it and a beer's got 440 and a wine's got 800 and an apple's got 90 and celery's got 10 and it's just stupidity, but that's how I am at the moment. It's just uh, something I've done for about the last six years and I tell you, mate, a pie's never tasted so good with a bit of sauce on it and I yeah. look at that and I go, that's like a steak, two veggies and, you know, a glass of milk and mum pie's just going to wreck it all. So, so you don't have them now? No, I do, but it's probably once a fortnight now instead of five a week. So but that's the thing changed. about life, isn't it? Everything in moderation yeah. is okay. Yeah, it is. And that's like, I've probably only allowed four or five light stubbies in a sitting. And I take that over probably a four or five hour course if I'm at mates and with parties. And chocolate, my God, I've never eaten chocolate in my life, but I do box a night sometimes because the sugar that was in beer and all that sort of stuff or wine or red wine when you'd go out with friends was just, Probably I'm probably replacing that, and it, and it's just I've got to get off it. Like it's I don't know if I'm a diabetic or whatever, but I'm just munching on the chocolate like it's going out of fashion. But two squares of chocolate, just a little Cadbury's chocolate, was about 800 kilojoules just in that. So yeah. you eat a block, well, that's what your daily intake of calories or kilojoules is. So go figure. So that 20 kilos that you lost, Barnsley, yep. was the, did you find that when you finished playing and, you, and oh, yeah. you were out of the routine of training all the time and it just, did it go on really quickly? No, nah, it took probably five or six years to go on because um, I tried to run and all that sort of stuff. I just got harder and harder, Pete. But then I would go past a shop and I'd have a piece of fish and I'd have two potato cakes and then it went into a piece of fish and a pie and it went into... You know, a couple of dim sims, and I didn't realise how much crap was in noodles. Like, we all think that those noodle shops are pretty healthy, but they're not. And the rule of thumb is everyone thinks you've got to exercise, everyone thinks you've got to take vitamin tablets, which is a load of crap. It's just, you're allowed 8,700 kilojoules as a guy, and about 7,000 as a chick, or a lady, or a woman, or however you've got to say that without getting politically in trouble. And if you can eat under what your daily intake is, you'll lose weight. And it's as simple as that. And you don't have to exercise. Mm. But if you're eating above that, you'll gain weight. That's pretty much simple maths. And as you say, there are so many misconceptions about what you can and what you can't eat and what's healthy and what's not. Yep. You know, everyone says about these um, juice drinks that, yep. you know, they're good for sugar. you. They are absolutely full of sugar. Yeah. So I can, you probably drink 300 mils of olive oil. You'd probably drink uh, probably eat a half a tub of butter, but that's all you can have for the day. You can't have anything else. And if you want to go down the alcohol stage, you can drink a slab of beer, which is 8,000-something kilojoules, but you can't have anything to eat for the rest of the day either. So you can take your options. Mm. So it's your poison. Have two bottles of wine, that's it for the whole day. Or you can have nice food, and I graze. I graze all day, and it's um, something I've taught myself to do because I used to do that playing footy. But potato chips are my killer, Pete. Salt and vinegar, I... Saying that word gets me saliva is juicing in my mouth and I start to sweat and now I'm craving them, unfortunately. Cause Salt that's and vinegar is the, oh, the one, is it? You say it again, I'm getting excited. Sorry about that. We'll take a break then and we'll let you calm down. Yeah, I'll just see me. I'm starting to sweat up here. I'm just not sure whether it's MasterChef or yeah. whether it's This Is Your Sporting Life, but whatever it is, it's been an entertaining first segment and don't go anywhere because there's plenty more still to come with John Barnes on the other side of the break. All with thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It is a great pleasure to have you with us as always for This Is Your Sporting Life. John Barnes is my guest on the program. So we've covered a few things. We'll probably cover a few more before the end of the show, Barnesy, but... Let's talk footy. You're right. And where you started in the game. I started as a swimmer, unfortunately. Did you? Oh, what the, was your stroke? The, the, uh, it was freestyle, and the discipline to do that was um, oh, it used to kill me because we lived in Dalesford, and Dalesford used to snow up there, and no heated pools back in those days, so you had to tough it out at you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and then you'd go back at 4 o'clock in the Arvo, and... Just up and back, up and back, boring as batshit. So you just swim and swim and swim and swim. The black line. And you had to go to Ballarat to Kruger Swimming School and then we'd drive back again. And then I went to Caniva and then a big uh, fat bloke pulled me out of the pool and his name was Mel Coots. And he said, do you kick the footy, young fella? I said, I don't know. I was about probably nine or ten years old, maybe eleven and uh, that was pretty much it. We started kicking a footy after school, and I picked it up pretty quick. After about 18 months, I could kick left and right foot, and he put me in the mini Colts, which is the under-14s, and I was lucky enough to grow up in a town with Alistair Clarkson. So me and him come from the same town, and we used to kick in the uh, ambulance station, which had about, well, to me it looked like it was about a 50-metre long piece of grass, but when I go back there, it was only about 20, and we used to kick there all the time. So we'd... Uh, play in the, after, in the mornings with the under-17s, then you do the boundary umpire for the reserves, then you play in the minis in between the reserves and the seniors, then you boundary umpire the seniors, and you try and hitchhike a lift home because that's how it was. And there'd be 15 kids in a, in a car like jammed in like sardines because you'd have to travel two hours to Tinanara or Keith or Mandala or Bordertown or something like that. And then we um, was just starting to get, get going a bit when I left Caniva and we went to Cobram. When I got to Cobram, I was told to ask for a boat, a kid called Gary Hocking. So when I went to Caniva, uh, to Cobram, met a boat called Gary Hocking. Um, and the first impressions was nickname I used as Buddha. He had this T-shirt on and it had a tuxedo on the T-shirt. And I went, oh, he's this freaking idiot. So I shook his hand. His hands were dead set like sledgehammers. They were bloody huge. And me and him ended up being best mates. So I only lived there for 18 months, but we would ride the bike, bounce the footy, play basketball with a footy kick it under a street light at four o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't leave till we took 10 marks in a row but you couldn't see the bloody footy it was ridiculous and you kick it as high as you could and you'd be coming home with gravel rash and skin off your arms and bleeding and mum would crack the shits because you know they're all cut up and bleeding she'd run out of band-aids so then we'd have shots at the basketball ring and you couldn't leave till you got 10 of them in then we go to the netball courts and try and get 10 so that's pretty much how we were so I mean him would have competitions in the park next door to my joint we had lucky we had four trees that looked like goalposts. So it was me versus him. So by the time I got to 15, me and Buddha were both playing senior footy at, at uh, Cobram and John Tresize, who played footy for uh, Carlton, he was our coach and he told me, old man, you wanted to play me in the seniors. I was only about 65 kilos and six foot one. And then me mum goes, there's no effing way he's playing. He's too freaking small. And I went, mum, come on. So that's all I wanted to do was play footy. So I lined up with the number 31 Guernsey because Calvin Templeton was my favourite player because I broke for the Bulldogs, and so I, I donned the 31 Guernsey. They played me in the forward pocket. I ended up kicking five goals in my first game and played a bit in the ruck. And then I got a game, I got a phone call from Essendon to play in a match permit game. 
down at uh, Windy Hill in the reserves. And I was only 15 and a half, and I'm thinking to myself, this is not right. So we played the Bulldogs, and I played forward pocket again. And these, Pete, I swear to God, these blokes were monsters. Like mm. they were 100 kilo men, and I'm shitting myself. I didn't know what to do, where to run. I'm clapping my hands because I'm playing the Bulldogs, my idols. And I'm sitting there going, how good is this? I'm looking around at the crowd. They're starting to pour in for the senior game. And I'm just sitting there like I was a five-year-old kid, you know, doing handstands in the backyard. And I got one handball for the whole day. But the club weren't concerned about that. And I went home and they got me back again. I probably got five kicks the next time I played. But I come back the year next year and I uh, I match permits to play under-19s. And Slug Jordan was the coach. And if you've ever been coached by Slug Jordan, you could hear him swearing from the other side of the ground and he made you feel about an inch tall if he did something wrong. But to me, I reckon he made you a better player because he just absolutely gave it to you. What are you doing playing flowers? It's an hour forward. And you look across and you just want to go over and rip his nuts out and smack him around the head with them. I've always respected my coaches. Sometimes you didn't agree with them, but you just had to cop your lot. And then I ended up playing in a final against Geelong. I ended up kicking six goals. And we only kicked nine for the day. And I was only on match permits. And he goes, well done, young fella. You stuck it up my ass. I said, well, that's what I was aiming to do. And that's when I come down for a pre-season. And Pete, pre-season to me, from being from the country to AFL pre-season, mm-hmm. it was frigging horrendous. Because you did your running, your training, your weights, your boxing all in the one day. That's after you'd worked and you were getting home at 10 o'clock. I couldn't wash my hair. I just had no strength left in my arms. I could only do 20 push-ups at the best. Well, these blokes are doing 300 push-ups in like four, six sets of 50, then they're doing 300 sit-ups in six sets of 50. I couldn't do 20 sit-ups. My guts was killing me. My arms were killing me. I was getting a shit punched out of me by the boxing bikes. I went home and rang up mum. I said, mum, I don't like this. This is too hard. But after about six weeks, you get a bit more accustomed to it. I'm actually doing 100 push-ups. That's not too bad. Played my first game at 17. I was about 76 kilos and kicked four goals. And Who was that against? I was against Geelong. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because it was a draw. I took my missus out for dinner. I got 50 bucks off uh, an Essendonian because they handed out their best player award. It was me and Peter Francis. I think he'd come from Richmond to Essendon for one year. Did Sheedy see that difference in you? Because Sheedy was regarded as a man who, he didn't have the cookie-cutter approach. He was very individual with what he did with a lot of the players. Did he see in you something that maybe you didn't go down the traditional path, maybe you didn't lift the weights that everyone else was lifting, but you had something? No doubt. And what shits me with a lot of coaches is you get picked and I'm, look I'm not a rap for the under 18 TAC I think it's bullshit it's just takes it takes potential and and um, football away from local clubs and these kids are good enough they'll play senior footy and they'll stand out in senior footy playing just, against it's, men it's just a lazy way for recruits to go and sit at an oval and watch 40 kids run around and it's not them doing their job like that in my day they had to come down and have a look but she's wrecked me in a, in a way where he wouldn't let me play my game because he had picked up and drafted. Or in my case, he just got picked up because it was in that zone. And uh, he just wouldn't let me play my style of footy. He wanted to change me. He didn't want me to jump, but I was a jumper. And when I went down to Geelong, I told Malcolm Bight, this is what, he goes, you're kidding me, aren't you? I said, I don't want you to jump on heads, kick left foot barrels and drop kicks and do whatever you want to do. I went, so I went home with a smile on my face because I didn't want to play footy after that. Mm. And my old man said a lot of kids would give their left nut to be where you are. So I went home and come back and had another go at it. And Gary Ocking convinced Blighty to play me in the ruck because Berkey went down. 
Hooper hurt his knee, and I think the other Burke went down. So I was their last option, pretty much. And some, it's amazing how you get a lucky break, and that was my lucky break. Just before we go back to your time at Essendon again, do you reckon that friendship that you had with Gary Hocking was one of the reasons, or if not the main reason, that you finished up at Geelong when you left Essendon? Looking at it now, Bill McMaster chased me when I was a 16-year-old and Stephen Moles, but I thought I'll go to Essendon. Probably in hindsight, I probably should have gone to Geelong, but hindsight's a great thing. But Billy got Billy McMaster actually got his wish, so I went down to Geelong, and when I got there, you could just, you know... You could just see that the uh, the way that Malcolm Blight let me play my own game of footy um, was just, to me, it was just a breath of fresh air. You know, then I really loved the game. Mm. I'm in love with it again. It was just great. So you didn't love it in the in the last couple of years? No. It, but, because you're only just finding your feet, Yeah, I, I was. I only played 12 games in six years or five years, whatever it was, and... You know, there's a lot of big blokes down there. It was pretty hard to break into the, you know, forward line position, which they wanted me to play, and I was never going to play in a ruck at Essendon. And then, you know, it just sort of, as I said, you need some lucky breaks in footy. You know, they talk about grand finals. You're lucky to get into one, but you're even 100 times luckier to win one. It's got to be, everything's got to be working for you on your day. But, yeah, just just having a coach like Blighty who just said, mate, I'll give you some rope, you go hang yourself sort of thing. And it was like, or burn the candle at both ends, or use the sword, was whatever terminology you want to use. Okay, so I know what you do, so just make sure you play well. Everyone's got a blighty story, and we'll get yours after the break in your time at Geelong and how much you enjoyed it. Talking about grand finals, reaching those grand finals with a, a great team that wasn't able to get mm. over the line at that stage, and eventually the demons would be buried, if you'll pardon the expression, mm. a, a decade later when they became such a great team. But we'll get that blighty story when we come back after the break with John Barnes. Hope you're enjoying the chat on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. More with Barnsley coming up after the break. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Already we're talking about we wish we had extra time uh, with John Barnes on This Is Your Sporting Life. Great to have your company. Barnesy, your time at Geelong. I mentioned before the break, everyone's got a blighty story. What's yours? We're um, all called into a meeting, Pete, and a um, little tentative we were and because Bidey wasn't real happy. When he's happy, he normally buys pizza and the guys have a good night and we're sitting in the room and he's starting to talk about an individual and how this individual wasn't following team rules and guidelines and all this sort of stuff and was um, starting to get a bit edgy and all this sort of stuff. Because body used to video train and you wouldn't know who was videoing it. And then he pulled it out about four weeks later and go, is that acceptable? And like some blokes were just piss farting around and me included. And it made you feel like you're about an inch tall, like Slug Jordan used to. And you're thinking, bloody hell, whose videos are going to be tonight? But then he, got up and said, well, there's not a bloke in this room. He doesn't handball. He's not sharing the ball. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. And we're all sitting there going, oh, I wondered who it is. And he goes, and that bloke's Gary Ablett. And we've all dead set going, oh, my God, we're sunk in the chairs and we're thinking, shit, what's he going to do? And he's going, Gary, you've kicked 120 goals, 120-something else goals. Mate, you're on 90 or 87 goals. You'll still get your hundred, mate. You've just got to handball more. None of this bullshit snapping over your shoulder and trying to kick 60 metre bananas and crap like that. 
Hamble, Hamble, Hamble gas. And we're going, bloody hell, thank Christ someone's told him because none of the boys had the balls to tell him. So all of a sudden, we play the next game and freaking Gaz has shot out about six handballs. His stats for the year was about 624 kicks, nine handballs, and nine of them were like that game. <laughs> and about 300 marks and he had 90-something goals. He still kicked eight or something that game. But it was more bring your teammates into the game because the rule was no U-turns. But Gazza was sort of an exception. But I think Blighty just cracked the shit spot out and said, that's it, Gaz, you got a handball. And... From that day onwards, I thought, geez, that's a that's a big call, Blighty. The best player in the game at the time, and he's just told him to pull his head in. We just went, shit, that's um, that's a good get. So, you know, it was uh, to me, it was gold. And I used to go pig shooting with Gaz because mm. Ricky Nixon was our manager and Gaz's manager. Well, I should say he was just Gaz's manager. I was just like a fly on the wall. But he wouldn't go anywhere on his own. So I used to get paid just to sit in a Learjet and fly to Adelaide and do functions or Queensland and the only way you could get him to go and do something was if you had to go pig shooting. So we go to Broken Hill all the time. And Did you get to know him? Yeah, I did because I used to go Ablett, Barnes, Buse, whatever down the list. And we used to room together. And he used to try and give me the Bible. And I'd say, Gaz, get rid of it. Or I'll throw it. That, you know, I'll just throw it out the window. Johnny, you really need to have a read. I'm going, Gaz, I'm not reading it, mate. You can stick it as far as, you know, the wind will take it. And I'm going... Goes, no, nah, some good stuff in here. You really learn from it. I'm going, Gaz, I'm going. So I'd just leave the room and he'd be sitting there reading it. And I'd come back in and be trying to preach it to me again. And I had to go to um, Fletcher, who was our team manager, and said, I can't room with Gaz anymore. It's just getting out of control. But then all of a sudden, you know, we had a good chat and things were good after a while. And I'll tell you what he was good at. He was good at borrowing 10 bucks off you and not paying it back. When How much do you reckon it but when you up got, to over the but years? But when you've got 40 bikes on the list, that's 400 bucks every time. <laughs> Times 10 years, that's adds up to a bit. But it's doing that every two weeks. So <laughs> probably 100 grand if you worked it out. We'd have state training. And you'd come home from state training and be five of us in a, in a car. And we'd stop at the survey where the McDonald's is out the back there of um, near Point Cook. And Gazer would get a solid roll and a bottle of drink or something else. And they'd write a check out for it. <laughs> and I go, mate, we don't take check. And the young kid behind the counter's going, yeah, yeah, take the check. Because it's got Gary Albert's signature on it. Yeah. So it was um, yeah, a few little things like that. Like he used to mow his lawn, you know, going to do an ad for a radio station like this, and he'd go, I, um, can you give me a ride on mowing? I'll do an ad for there. Yeah, no worries. So he's got a big block. It was about half an acre. And the grass was about three foot high. So he'd filled her up with juice, and away he went. So we go back about six weeks later, we can't see the mower. So we got about 20 laps out. We go, what happened to the lawnmower? Gets the art, ran out of juice. So we just left it there. So the grass is six foot high now where he didn't mow it and three foot high where he'd already mowed it. So that's the type of bloke he was. He was pretty cool. He'd go into his room. He'd have a little room there, probably as big as this office, I suppose, or this media room here. And it'd be 100 pairs of Adidas runners, 100 pairs of Adidas footy boots. There'd be... 30, 40 grand's worth of memorabilia. Uh, what is it? Just clothing in it. It was just, that was Gaz, though. Like, mm. Ricky Nixon had to go and collect money from people he'd done jobs for and he hadn't collected for five years, you know what I mean? He was just that laconic. That's just how he was. Is he the best player you played with, Barnsley? The one of the, he was definitely, um, as Billy Brownless keeps saying, we had front row seats. You found yourself just in awe, just watching him do stuff. Just the power of the bloke, the strength, the speed, the distance he could kick a footy. And uh, just a funny bastard, like just dry sense of humour. But so you just look back and you go, that was quite funny, guess. And 
Love boxing. Love doing chin-ups, push-ups, and sit-ups. And that was it. And kicking goals. You had a great team at Geelong in those days, but you couldn't get over the line in the grand finals. Yeah. How gut-wrenching was oh, that? Oh, look, for me, my first year in 92, you know, I wasn't expecting to get to a grand final. But when we got there in 92, I thought, geez, it was probably our best chance. Um, got beat by 28 points, I think it was. And we're leading at three-quarter time. 94, West Coast were the best side by far. 95, Carlton were the best side by far. And he lost two games. I think they were the bottom two sides. And, uh, yeah, it gets a bit heartbreaking. And then uh, 97, I think it was, we were having another crack. And Lee Cobb, we played North Melbourne here. Got beat. I think we were second. They were sixth, which was a stupid final six or something in those days. Another stupid thing the AFL have put forward. We go to Adelaide. Lee Cobb takes a mark, running with the fly of the ball. We're eight points in front or something. And uh, the umpire didn't pay the mark. He would have kicked a goal, would have put us 14 points up. But they took the ball down the other end, kicked a couple of goals. We got beat by five points, so we're out in straight sets. So it was pretty heart-wrenching as well, mate. So, yeah, it sort of gets to you. When you're playing in a team like that, that good, with that amount of personnel, and you keep on getting to the big one and you can't get over the line, did you think at the time, my time's passed me by, I'll never win one of these things? Yeah, pretty much. And... You look back now, and we're probably reliant on Gary Ablett too much because in 89, I was at Essendon and remember watching that at Doom Wallace's and Darren Buick's house and um, kick nine. And you're thinking, well, shit, all he has to do when he plays for us is kick four or five and it's going to ease the load on Billy and Baz and all those blokes. But, yeah, I think he only kicked about five goals in the three grand finals I played in collectively. So, you know, Gazza wouldn't be happy with that, I don't think, either, but when you're expecting a bit more from him, which is not fair on our behalf either. So to be to be fair on him and us, we're probably a bit too Gaza, you know, prone and opposition probably thought that too. And McIntosh played good footy on Billy and, you know, it was just uh, the matchups were right. The West Coast got right. They probably did a lot of homework and, and Carlton, Steve Silvani's a superstar, you know, and he played very well on Gaz every time he played on him. So we did have some great footballs and, Great midfield. We just yeah, just couldn't get there. But, yeah, it was a bit disheartening, Pete. It was terrible. So here you are thinking that you're never going to experience the feeling of holding the Premiership Cup and running a lap of honour at yep. the MCG, and suddenly the wheel turns yep. and you find yourself back where you started. How did that happen? Oh, look, I probably have to thank a bloke called Gary Davidson here because he's probably the worst footy manager I've ever had in footy and probably one of the worst blokes I've ever met in my life, and he probably uh, made the decision for me. He got rid of me, and I thank him for that. And I didn't think I'd ever play footy again. So I used to uh, get out in Buckley Street where Adrian Dodoro used to drive past and I'd put water on myself. I'd run about 100 metres. He'd see me every morning, toot his car, I'd wave. I'd walk around the corner, get back in my car and drive home. So I did this for about five weeks. So he went to Shoes and said, geez, we've got to pick up Barnes. He's training his ass off. So I get a knock on the door and Shoes and Matthew Drain come around. They say, mate, we want to pick up a ruckman, but we don't want any dickheads. I said, mate, please, I'm 31 years old. Like I'm going to you know, piss fart around. So we get to the draft and I go up to Lyndon Bernie Colbert's house. They had a yabby farm up in Bendigo and I took me two young blokes up there. And as they said, they were going to pick me about number 55 or something like that. So I'm waiting for the, the name to come out. And Lynn Colbert comes in and goes, um, nah, no good, 55. They picked up David Hill. And I went, no, oh, friggin' bullshit artist. I've cracked the shits and gone outside. Opened up a can of beer with Bernie Colbert and... Lynn comes screaming, Barnsley, they picked you up, number 59. I said, don't bullshit to me, Lynn. I'm not in the mood. You know, I'm pretty pissed off at it. No, no, they really did. So I go inside and 
50 sheens reading out, yeah, oh, geez, that's a risk, picking up Johnny Barnes, 31 years of age, and oh, Happy's a pig and shit. So we went up to the golf course, played a game of golf, had a couple more beers, come home, the missus rang me. She was pretty happy. Went back to, that was on a Sunday, so we were trained on Monday, and Johnny Quinn, who coached the girls 4 by 400 metre relay in the Olympics in 2000, he was a running coach, and he'd already looked after a few Olympic games before that. He's a weird unit, Johnny Quinn, but absolute ripper bloke. And uh, he was our fitness coach. And I remember having a chat with him, and he says, look, mate, I just want you to train as hard as you can and see how you go. I've always been a good long-distance runner. And uh, he was he was about the only bloke who I would think never take shit off anybody. And he, he was a bit like Blight he was with Gary Ablett in that meeting, but he was giving it to James Hurd. He was just... He commanded not respect, but he just said, mate, these blokes don't respect you because he was a bit arrogant and a bit cocky, but he put Herdy back in his box a little bit and uh, Herdy responded to it really well. And I can nearly say James Hurd's the best captain I've ever played under. When 2000 come around, we won the night premiership. I just went home, didn't even think much of it. When we got the 20 games in a row and the Bulldogs beat us in round 21, I was pretty happy because I barracked for the Bulldog anyway, so it was a win-win for me. It was the famous flood game, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, flooded. Well, apparently the Bulldogs went to Werribee for three nights in a row and just practised it, so yeah. it come off for them. So all we did for the next five weeks was practice against a frigging flood, so training was as boring as batshit. Did then, you just know that you were going to win the flag? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, knew from, I knew when my best mate Dean Wallace got tackled that they were going to win the flag. So I was stoked that we I went back to Western. And then we, um, when I went to uh, the game, I wasn't nervous at all, didn't think about it, slept like a baby, got up. Knew my role, played the game, saw him went, cried my eyes out. All I could say was yes. And then uh, got all that cup, took me time. Guy was last to leave, got inside the room, saw me mum and dad and my brother who's passed away, big fella. Um, me sisters, me missus, my kids. And then we, uh, yeah, we hung under it, tipped a bit of beer on ourselves and went across the road, enjoyed it, got home at three o'clock. And then we... Uh, Went out to the footy ground the next day, mate, and the memories are still there, so it was amazing, yeah. Was the best part of the day, not the game, not the celebrations, but the bit you talked about where you saw your family in the Yeah, rooms. yeah when I went in the property room afterwards because I didn't go out where all the crowd was, I just sat in the property room with another great mate of mine, Brian McNabb, who's been with me forever, and he was sitting in there and he bawled his eyes out, so I cried again, and it was just me and me, you know, I said, me and me five, me four siblings, me mum and dad, and... Yeah, we just sat there and had a moment for about 20 minutes and I was just about to chug on a few cans and Mark Harvey come past and he said, don't get pissed tonight. I said, what? He goes, no, don't get pissed. I said, why? He goes, because I got that pissed in 1984. I can't remember a thing. And he said, you might never get here again. I went, oh, bloody hell. So I only had about six cans for the whole night. So I remember absolutely everything that went on. And I'm glad he said that because I didn't win another one. Mm. So I was pretty lucky. I remember absolutely every single thing that went on. Who would have thought a sage piece of advice from Mark Harvey? Yeah, yeah I know, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is unbelievable. <laughs> Harves, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, we love you. Yeah, I uh, didn't mean that either. No, we're going to take a break, and when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll wrap things up. Wish we had more time. But I want to talk about your time as a runner yep. uh, because runners are quite Happy topical days. in footy Oof. at the moment. Uh, and you might be able to offer some words of advice to them to stop them being relieved of large sums of money. Mm. We'll talk to Barnsley about that on the other side of the break when we come back on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with John Barnes on This Is Your Sporting Life. Barnesy, you were a runner at Essendon for a while. Yeah. It's quite costly at one stage. Oh, geez, obviously one of his best men in the job and the best man in the job cost me 28 grand. And 28 grand? Yeah, it was 28 grand because I called Joel uh, Corey a couple of words, which I can't mention on air, but uh, yeah, and I said... Was I one of them idiot? Yeah, and another one started with F. Did you at any stage, because Sheeds would have given you some messages that were yes, pretty I, direct. Yes, I did, Pete. I know what you're going to say here. And straight I changed them by a mile. Yes. You did, had to. Did you um, do that to spare the players' feelings or did you do it to... There there were some people I could really give it to, like yeah. add about 20 Fs and whatever you wanted to, because that was to get them to react. And there's other blokes you really had to, mate, could you please just follow Michael Voss around? Because if you said one little thing out of place, their game was shot to pieces. Mm. So you had to pick your mark. And I was good at that. We're just about out of time. But one thing I did want to ask you about, concussion is a very big story in footy these yep. days. And it's something that you're very qualified to talk about. Yep. If you could talk to the likes of Paddy McCartan and some of the boys who've had concussion issues, what advice would you proffer to them at the moment? I would seek um, some advice from... The higher beings above from doctors, professors, I'd get tested uh, by those who know what they're talking about. I'd get retested again and again and again because you're uh, later on down the track like I am now. Like I'm, I'm an epileptic now and it's um, we believe it's got something to do with concussions and it's uh, something that I don't like living with but I'll have to, unfortunately. It's part of my life and these blokes could have the same things. I know that it can affect people in different ways. It can sleep your, affect your sleep, and I'm forgetting stuff, Pete. I'm leaving things on. I can't do things I normally used to do, and these boys could be heading down that path. So I'd be really looking at uh, ways of trying to minimise that, and if that means you've got to cut your future a bit short, then that's what it is. But unfortunately, the AFL hasn't got a uh, workers' compensation fund set up, and we're the only sporting body in the world that hasn't got it. You've got a premiership medallion. You've got some great memories. You've got the pig shooting memories with Gary Ablett. But was it all worth it, given what you're going through at the moment? I'd have to say yes to that, Pete, because um, it's something I wanted to do as a kid and uh, fulfilled my dream, which not a lot of people get to do. And We might have to do another show with you at some stage. Oh, well, let's go into two hours and we'll do two shows. All right. Well, let's look at that down the track. No worries, Pete. Good on you, Barnsley. Thanks, Pete. John Barnes joining us as my very special guest. Hope you enjoyed that on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, and we'll be back with another guest same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.